Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. After an hour almost of rambling about <laughs> conspiracy theories, we're finally getting the show going. Conspiracy truth, uh, Jacob. Truth. Yeah, that's true. Conspiracy truth. That's true. Uh, well, you know, I think I feel like I felt like I need to get it out of my system a little bit because mm-hmm. you and I uh, haven't spoken on the phone for two weeks. So. Yeah, at least, you uh, know, and even then, like I think the last one we had a guest, like we've had guests, and that's true. We've had guests yeah. where like we just don't talk, you know, because we don't want to we don't want to like bore them <laughs> with our right. shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So we're gonna bore well, all you well, listeners. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, well, I've got I've got a good show this week, and I was going to say this before the show started, but I figured I'd, I'll say it now. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I'm really sick of COVID talk. <laughs> um, it took it took like 45 minutes for me to find good wine articles mm-hmm. that are not related to COVID and mm-hmm. like the wineries being shut down and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I've got some good wines articles that are related. Some of them are a little bit older. Mm-hmm. But um, it's related to what I think we said in a previous episode we wanted to talk about, uh, which is uh, well, Sopravari is in, in mm. particular we wanted to talk about, but uh, Georgia, the the Republic of Georgia, yes. and um, so I thought we'd kind of get into that a little bit today. Uh, do you want to go ahead and do our wine reviews first, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Sopravari grape. Well, real what do quick, you want to do? Like, uh-huh. I know you're sick of COVID, but I had just one funny okay. anecdotal thing or two funny. I, I'm, I'm okay yeah. with you and me talking about it. I just didn't want, like, I didn't yeah, want yeah. to read another article Correct. about like California is forcing these people to be shut down. I, I swear to God, it was like the first 50 articles on Ex- one of my exactly. wine news aggregator things. And I was like, holy crap. How, like, is there any other news in the world? Yeah. Well, did you see that the president Rouhani of Iran said that, you know, and it wasn't like a serious, serious comment, but it was during a serious press conference where he said that like upwards of 25 million Iranians had been infected with COVID. Like talk about oh, inflating the so. numbers. Like, yeah. How so, many people live in Iran? Uh, I think it's 75 million. Like it's a lot. Of I, I know it's, I know it's fairly big. Like yeah, uh, it's, 81 it's, million. Wow. Yeah. Almost 82. Yeah. So like, that would be just a dwarfing number, and especially considering like the current projection is three million people all told. But the other thing was like there was an article on Zero Hedge that was on Lou Rockwell that was basically like somebody going like you need to put the like telling President Trump that he needs to take the people who direct the CDC and put them in jail immediately um, because they basically yeah. are still putting the fact that like if you have the antibodies, which all coronal viruses generate, so the common cold and the other related viruses produce the antibodies, they're counting that as a COVID positive on top of the people that like directly test positive. And like, I don't know the accuracy of the directly test positive. So they're, they're literally going, okay, so and they're also saying, like, if they can't confirm, com- positively confirm a negative, you're positive. Mm-hmm. So, like, the CDC's numbers are mixing you possibly had it with you actually have it. And then, like, Florida was doing this. And then in Florida, they also got busted, like, with some of the labs 
be reporting 100% positive testing. Yeah, Every test I saw that came that in, and it was 100%. And it was like one, one was, was like 98, but it was really 9.8. Somebody just moved the deck. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't an intentional mistake as far as anybody could tell. Just no one right. bothered to double check anything. Yeah, yeah. That, that was there wasn't like an investigative report or something about mm-hmm. that from you know ABC Florida or something like that. One of the one of the news outlets where they actually like somebody went. Wait a second, there can't be three hundred and thirty labs or three maybe it's three hundred thirty three. It was like it was over three hundred labs mm-hmm. reporting one hundred percent positive. That's impossible. Yeah, and uh, like somebody just used logic and was like no that that can't be and uh yeah so they 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 did they they and and one of uh one of them was a VA lab too i know so mm-hmm. like the, it was they were reporting that and when they called and the person was like oh yeah yeah we saw the mistake and reported it but the people who like report the numbers to the public or whatever didn't bother to correct it yeah. and um there was another one actually here in texas there's a couple of of couple, uh, weird ones where one was that um, if if you test positive or are presumptive positive, then they can they can count up to fifteen people that you've been in contact with as positive, even if they haven't been tested. Yeah. And then there was another one. I don't remember where this one was. Where they were in the hospital every every time they tested you that it came back positive, that was counted as a new positive case. <laughs> So like if if you if you're positive and then they just continue to retest you every day, mm-hmm. you could be positive. And it's up to a certain number. So like for some reason they're allowing like a certain threshold, mm-hmm. and I'm not entirely sure how they arrive at that. But yeah, there's a lot of shenanigans going on that like it's it's something's going on. Like it's weird, but yeah, there there's a lot of stuff. I would recommend people go listen to the propaganda report about it. She's actually promoted Childeberg twice. So I'm kind of pushing people to go listen to her show a little bit more, but she, they, they do a much deeper dive on like the false positives and, and the way that things are being reported. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, it's called the, well, it's called the propaganda report. They call it the drive by news blast. And it's just 30 minutes a day of, of just whatever's going on in the news. And, um, she's cool. She, she used to have a terrestrial radio show. They kicked her off of that cause she's too hardcore. <laughs> and, um, and it's it's re- a lot of the stuff that they they've been pointing out is really interesting, and they kind of go through they get and they have and they source it too, which is helpful because you can go read the information mm-hmm. and go like they're like oh yeah this and one of the things that I had I had known about this before because it's from Collin County, which is the is two counties over from here where Plano is, and because um, I'm in Tarrant, and then there's Dallas, and then there's there's Collin, and um, that was the one where like they, they had a, it was, it was like a public hearing and they were asking the person about it. And the guy was like, what, how did we go from having one new case a day to having 16 new cases a day? And like the, the doctor or whatever that's testifying is like, Oh, well it's because now we're, we're doing contact tracing. And if you were, if you test positive, we're anybody up to 15 people that you came in contact with, we're just going to say that those are positive as well. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And he's like, is that part of the state guidance? And they're, and they're like, yeah. He's like, yeah. okay, all right. So, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, so bat, bat bananas. So let's talk about even more bat banana stuff. Uh, you know, our favorite wine-producing country that we, neither of us have been to and is uh, actually kind of difficult to get to from the United States. The Republic That's true, of Georgia. it is. 
Yeah, yep. And they have a, a winemaking tradition going back to 8000 BC. So it yeah. is either the first place where wine was made or among the first places that wine was made. I know a lot of places in the region claim that they were the first places, but yeah. uh, the ge- the ge- what not geological, um, archaeological. archaeological. Yeah, yep. Archaeological evidence shows that Georgia is, if not the oldest, among the oldest. They do yeah, have, I think, they have the, evidence going back to eight thousand BC. I think it's the oldest found evidence at this point. Like, yeah, like there's no place that has evidence that's like confirmed by multiple sources that goes that far back. So, yeah, yeah. And, and what's what's interesting about it too is that they've been making wine roughly the same way with with some added sanitary practices and stuff from, mm-hmm. from modern times roughly the same way for most of that history yeah uh so you can actually get and, and the grapes genetically go back that far too so you can get the wine that your ancestors may have been drinking in 8000 bc you can still get that wine in the republic of georgia and it's roughly made the same way uh the yeast may be different the terroir is is roughly the same i mean you know 10,000 years is is not that big in a climate climate what do they call it climatological climatological um, yeah like i don't know i think that word could be used but i don't think that's what they necessarily use okay but yeah yeah so like as far as like the terroir goes it's the same it's the same place you know it's kind of it would be interesting to go to a place and then what one of the cool things like i was watching videos before we got started about about like going there and like taking a tour where they, they show you how everything's done mm-hmm. and you can taste the wine. They, they have this, um, uh, there's this like style of singing there. That's a, it's a, it, it's a polyphonic style of singing, you know, where like a lot of different people are singing different levels mm-hmm. and, um, kind of like a bar, like a barbershop quartet, but like way older. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they do this like Georgian style traditional singing while you're sampling the wine, tasting Georgian foods and stuff like that. And they have in Georgia, um, over 430 indigenous grape varieties. And so now there, there ones that I think we're going to talk about one of them today. I'll probably mention one of the other very popular ones, but, uh, there are so many there, I think there's 30 commercially grown and then 430 that are just grown in general for people. You know, this is one of those places in the world where they still just make wine at home for personal consumption. Mm-hmm. And, um, but like there's just these grapes I and mean, this is around the area where grapes originated. And, uh, so a lot of this, the wines that we like, uh, a lot of those can trace their genetic lineage back to this region. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, it's really cool. It's one of the reasons I like it a lot. Uh, and I, know that you've got uh, a wine that you wanted to review tonight mm-hmm. that relates to this topic. So why don't you go ahead do. and tell us uh, what you had recently that you wanted to talk yeah, about? Yeah. So I have a uh, 2017 Saparavi, which is the way I pronounce the grape, but I'm sure that's not really how it's pronounced. Um, so that's the kind of one of the more famous, it's a red grape out of uh, Georgia. Um, this was actually fermented in the queer bay. The, the the ceramic buried underground um, me- method of fermenting, which is what we were talking about having the wine in a, a kind of the ancient style. That's actually kind of how they did it back then. And they still do it now. So like they basically throw everything into the, the thing stems, all that stuff to ferment. Um, so this one came from Vino Terra. Um, so it's 13% 
or 13.5 ABV. So look, it's like inky black smell, slightly medicinal front smell with like kind of blackberry on the back end. It's really interesting. And then it was a very dry finish with a solid burn across the tongue. So like, I don't know if it, like I had just eaten something that like kind of scratched up my tongue and I tasted a lot more, but it, you know, kind of that burn to it. Um, good red fruit and, uh, red fruit and blackberry notes on the back end too. So, I mean, it was just a, a solid bottle of wine. I think I got it for under 25 at total wine. I just happened to like go to the dentist a couple weeks ago and stop by the total wine out there at, um, uh, uh, not great bridge, but like out in the great neck area, you know, that one that's way out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I was in the Lebanon section and then they had Georgian wine. So that's, that's cool. I got a, a, one of the whites and I got a red and I already did the, white and i didn't put down any notes but yeah it was awesome what is the is this a uh so one of the things that we've talked about on the show before is that in eastern europe they do tend to have a sweeter palate mm-hmm. is this a dry sabravi mm-hmm. or is this uh no, semi-sweet this, this was dry okay yeah. interesting so i wonder i wonder and i don't know enough about it this is something maybe we'll we'll discover as time goes by is um if they do tend to do this in a semi-sweet style, I do know that there are a lot of semi-sweet uh, ones available at like the Russian store when we go to uh, get mm-hmm. food and stuff like that. We There are a lot of semi-sweets available, but there's also a lot of dries available. So I wonder if it's they do sometimes do uh, both or if they if it's traditionally semi-sweet, but they do dry for foreign markets. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I just think it's kind of an interesting. I think it's traditionally a dry wine. I think like okay. the traditional is a dry style and like any sweetness would have been something that developed over time because of, you know, like I think dry was probably easier to make back in the day um, yeah. just, just because of, you know, harvesting techniques and measuring and all that stuff that you need to do. Plus Georgia is one of those, like they don't have, it, it's not that they don't have high quality control, but like it's still a developing wine market in like a mass industrial scale. So a lot of the stuff you get in Georgia is, you know, kind of, Hey, like you could get wine. That's, you know, a generation out of being a family vineyard in, but like having been a family vineyard for 300 years. So like, you know, that sounds like, Oh, you know, people just become vintners in the U S yeah. Like, but there's a lot more money there for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but so this is, do you know, Georgian Winehouse? No. So Georgian Winehouse is the like one of the big importers of Georgian wine to the United States. Um, so they have several select brands. So like if you get a Georgian wine, it's generally brought into the U.S. at least on the East Coast by Georgian Winehouse. They're based in D.C. Um, okay. So you know, like on the East Coast, especially like there's a, a lot of their distribution points and stuff like that. So both the wines I got were brought in by Georgian, the Georgian Winehouse, and this uh, the Vintero Vint. Uh, Vino Terra, I think, is one of the bigger brands in Georgia, like for export. Okay. Not maybe necessarily like in Georgia itself. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So uh, one of these days, you and I are going to go there and we'll, we'll take the big tour and figure out all that, yeah. all of the information about this. Uh, do you want me to give you a little bit of the research that I did about the Saparavi grape? Yes. All right. So Saparavi, which is what you're drinking. Um, it is a black grape. It does have a pink flesh, so it's not a white flesh, which a lot of, a lot of the uh, 
red grapes have. It does have a kind of a pinky flesh, which gives it um, an inky color. And that's actually what the word comes from in Georgian, which is, is uh, related to the word dye, um, as in like tie-dye, like mm-hmm. dye. So um, it is uh, obviously a very dark grape and makes a dark wine. Um, and interestingly enough, I didn't get a huge amount of information about the grape because there's not that much available online about it. Uh, it is what most people say, and including Wikipedia, is that it's really old. It originated in the Kakheti region of eastern Georgia, but it's now grown in uh, many places uh, throughout Eastern Europe and uh, the New World. A little bit less in 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 Western Europe, but in the New World, people are doing stuff, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. Uh, but it is a very, very old grape. It's very popular in Eastern Europe. And there's a couple of different names um, for notable Georgian wines. And they refer to different things. Sort of like how we have like with Rioja, we have Reserva and Grand Reserva and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. They they have names that indicate different things with this grape. So the first one is called uh, Akan Aka. A K H A S H E N I. So it's Akashieni. Akashieni. Um, that is typically a semi sweet wine, and it is uh, produced in, I'm going to butcher this name again, but it's the Gurdzani region. So it's G U R D Z H A A N I. Um, then Mukuzani which is one that I've had a lot. It's spelled M-U-K-U-Z-A-N-I. This is a dry red wine. It's aged for three years. It's produced in the Mukuzani region. Um, it is sourced from the best local vintage, uh, vintages. So they, uh, it, if it's going to be under this label, then it's usually whatever the best of the wine is uh, in Georgia. Then mm-hmm. they have uh, Napar... Naparuli, so N-A-P-A-R-E-U-L-I. It's also a dry wine. It's aged three years as well. Uh, it's in a micro zone called Naparuli, um, and it's in the Telavi region. <laughs> and it's the same thing, sourced from the best available from that time, and then it's given that label. Uh, then there's another one. It's called Alazani. And this is a lighter wine. It's semi-sweet. Um, it's produced in the Alazani region. And it's actually a blend. So this one is 60% Saparavi and 40% Ricotta Stelli, which is the uh, very popular Georgian white variety. Mm-hmm. And I may, I, may be spe- I may be saying that one wrong, so I'll go ahead and spell it. It's R-K-A-T-S-I-T-L-I. Yeah, uh, we've, we've talked about climate. that one on the show before. Yeah, so I've actually, I think I've reviewed it two or three times. I do get this one. I get the dry one. This one is, um, or I get the, the dry of the white, and I do like it a lot. It, it does tend to be fruitier, and it's in a warmer, it's in from a warmer region of Georgia. So it tends to be a lot more fruity, more tropical flavors and stuff like that. But it's a really interesting grape. I like it a lot. We've also uh, reviewed it. One time I got it uh, from Moldova. Mm-hmm. which it's a popular grape there and um, from I think Romania, but I could be mistaken. Uh, so I've had a couple from other parts of Eastern Europe and uh, that is uh, a very popular white grape over there. I think it's, it's the most popular white grape in, in the former Soviet union. 
Uh, and Saparavi is, I think, the second most popular uh, red grape in the former Soviet Union. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting grape. The, the history of it is is really kind of cool. And there's a lot of grapes that, you know, children of children of children of children trace their ancestry back to this grape. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of neat to uh, where it's grown now. So 92% of this is grown in the Republic of Georgia. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's mostly a Georgian grape. There are other places where they grow it, but uh, apparently Australia grows very, grows it uh, about 2% of total production worldwide. And they produce very good dry red wine in Australia from this another 2% in the United States uh, because Saparavi is a cooler climate grape. They are actually growing this up in the Finger Lakes region, hmm. and uh, the and they're comparing this to uh, one of my favorite uh, grapes, which is they're saying it's it's a, it's like a fruitier version of Cabernet Franc from up there. So it's got a lot more of those delicate flavors up there and uh, more mineraliness and stuff like that, uh, just because of the climate, I guess. But uh, then another two percent are grown in Moldova. It's a very popular grape in Moldova. One uh, percent grown in in Russia. And uh, then much smaller portions grown in Armenia, Kazakhstan, and then the rest are grown in other regions that are not uh, listed by specific places. I so, would not expect Kazakhstan. Yeah, I wouldn't either because I thought that Kazakhstan was mostly Muslim and I thought alcohol was illegal there, but I don't know if that's the case or not. I think Kazakhstan is the one that has the forced atheism. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah well, no, that, that might be something to look into. I'm uh, looking into yeah, it now. Oh, okay, all yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah, so that's a it's an interesting thing. So things that they recommend to go with Saparavi from Georgia um, is a, a cheese stuffed pasta, so ravioli or something like that. They actually do have their own uh, stuffed cheese stuffed pasta in Georgia. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it's more like a cheese stuffed dumpling. Uh, they actually have something similar in uh, Ukraine that Victoria gets sometimes frozen. They're really good. Uh, and uh, then another one, they said like deep dish pizza. So more of like a casserole pizza. Mm-hmm. So like, you know how deep dish is. It's it's more yeah. like more like a casserole. So it's like got like a lot of layers and it's very thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they said uh, this one you might like because I think you like pork chops. I do. Uh, smoky barbecued pork chops. So what what would you think about any of those matched? Well, you probably wouldn't want the cheese ravioli uh, because cheese, you don't like cheese. Cheese is immensely popular in uh, Georgia. The other thing that yeah. is immensely popular in Georgia is cilantro. Um, so there's a lot oh, of really? stuff that like they make in Georgia that looks really good. And then they like hit it with cilantro and I'm just like, you yeah. ruined it. <laughs> I, think, I think I told you this is that uh, – is like I've I've started like I, I don't know if my palate has changed, but like I my distaste for cilantro is not as strong as it was. Like I, I would still prefer to be there to be a lot less cilantro on it than what most people add. Yeah. So to but to yeah. be fully out in the open, I made uh two batches of guacamole this weekend. I made one that was spicy and one that wasn't for the kids. Um because okay. we had a party next door and I was like, I wish I had like three leaves of cilantro to mix in here. Cause like the Jesse's, um, taqueria theirs has cilantro in it. Oh yeah. I like Jesse's. Theirs is really good with the cilantro and they usually don't kill it. Um, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's one of those things nuts. where like a, a, just a little bit of cilantro I think is good. 
It's mm-hmm. just that it most places put like an ungodly amount. Yeah. And I and I and it doesn't make sense to me. But I think it's one of those things where like you know, everybody always says you either like it or you don't like it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I think there's, you know, there's varying degrees. Well, of, of yeah, what people like. I think, and that's the thing is like, I used to just like you, like it used to physically taste bad, like not like soap, yeah. like other people would say, but it used to physically just be disgusting to a flavor right. to me. And now it's less bad. So, um, 70% of Kazakhstan is Muslim. And according to its, uh, relig- uh constitution, it's a, um, secular state and there is freedom of religion um okay i don't see it like at least in the wikipedia article like that there's a big like religious issue in the country um okay you know and i could just be visually overlooking it um but yeah like 70 percent muslim but it's a secular country um by law so i think they have a lot of weird stuff in that way um, okay interesting yeah so I think like so, yeah. Go ahead. I I, I was going to continue the Saparave mm-hmm. uh, topic or Saparavi topic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to review my wine, or do you want to go ahead and break for our commercial? Then I'll review my wine, and then we'll get it back into Saparavi. Uh, let's do it that way. Okay. All right. I'll. Here's our commercial, everybody. Hi folks, Dan Reed here, the host of the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. During the show's tenure, I've spoken to celebrated authors of baking and economics. I've chatted with bakers and chefs and libertarians alike to introduce you to people who provide a mix of ideas to build your skills in the kitchen, as well as tempt your appetite toward liberty. Type culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts into your browser search bar and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. I look forward to hearing from you. And that's our uh, good friend whose podcast I enjoy is the Culinary Libertarian. He recently had an episode that was all about avocados, which I thought was very interesting. That is um, interesting. Yeah, it was. It was. It was very interesting topic. He does get into a lot of different like things that you wouldn't think about with avocados. And he had a guest on whose name was. Uh, I think it was like something walk. I remember it. I remember reading because I, the only reason I remember is because I remember reading the title of the episode and I was like, Oh sweet. He's going to talk about how to cook in a walk, <laughs> but it was W a L K is the guy's last name. Oh. <laughs> and, and in my mind it was walk like the Chinese walk yes. or like whatever the yeah. Asian cooking thing. And I cook in one of those frequently. So I was like, Oh, he'll give me some tips on this because I cook in that a lot. <laughs> And uh, then it turned out to be about avocados, which I was also happy to listen to. But uh, good good show. I, I highly recommend it. He gets stuff from Last Bottle Wines where I get a lot of stuff, which uh, if you're interested in saving a little bit of money, uh, we have a, a a link on our on our website at tastinganarchy.com where you can get $10 off your first purchase and it'll give us a nice little kickback if you use our link. Yes, so it will. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a good uh, – Good show to listen to, and um, I would also like you guys to buy wine so I can get more free stuff. So. <laughs> uh, but let me go ahead and review review my wine. Uh, this is – I thought I had maybe reviewed this before, but it's possible this is one of the ones where I only had one bottle, and I looked through my notes. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any review of this. This is uh, Keller Estate Roti, which is uh, from Sonoma Coast. It's a red wine. It is named after Cote Roti, which is R-O with a little funky looking thing over it, T-I-E, which is the northernmost region in Rhone in France. So 
Uh, it's a like a subregion of of Rhone. Uh, so as the listeners who have been listening for a long time can guess, the primary grape in this is Syrah, which is the, one of the most popular grapes in Rhone. Uh, and like in Rhone, it is also fermented with a little bit of uh, Vignet. So uh, I really like this one, actually. You know, I think because I've been drinking so much beer lately and so little wine, and then also the times when I've been drinking wine, it's been kind of lesser quality wine, and I've also drank too much, and then I feel hungover the next day. Mm-hmm. I, I've sort of like fallen out of my wine groove for a while. This is sort of reigniting it because this is a really good wine. I don't have a huge amount to say about it other than I just really am enjoying it. Um, I'll go ahead and give you my notes on it. Uh, so look-wise, very deep red. Uh, smell is a very strong fruit flavor, which you kind of expect from Sonoma. Uh, and then taste is just smooth, fruity, soft tannins, has a little bit of spice, maybe a little bit of vanilla and uh, tobacco, but not a lot of that. Uh, it's just it's just good, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to drink the entire bottle so that I feel okay tomorrow, but uh, I've had two glasses, and I think two glasses is enough. Uh, Keller Estate, Roti, Sonoma Coast, Red Wine 2015. They do have uh, more recent vintages. It was fairly inexpensive. Uh, it's 14.5% ABV, if you're wondering. Uh, so it is a little bit high. But uh, it was, at last bottle wine, it was uh, $15 a bottle. It normally uh, retails for about 30 So it was about f- uh, 50% off, roughly. And uh, I recommend it. I think it's very good. And and it may just be the day. It may be how I feel or whatever. But I, I'm I'm feeling good about wine again. So yeah, it's one of those things. Good. You know, you know how like sometimes like you're really into reading books, and so you'll read a lot of books, and then like you like fall out of it. And so and then you listen to a ton of podcasts, but then you're like tired of podcasts, and you listen to a bunch of music. You know, I don't know if that happens to you. That happens to me. It not as frequently as it does you because yeah. like I listen to true kind podcasts, which you don't. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's always like new true kind podcasts to listen to um, mm-hmm. about things that I knew a little about, or I knew nothing about. And you know, like it's not necessarily like pleasant listening sometimes, but like, right. <laughs> I, I also find the topics like interesting in that, like, thank goodness I'm not that way. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I hate to kind of think of it that way. Like, I'm not a serial killer. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not mentally crazy. Like, I, I don't have, a you know, any mental disorders that those sort of things. So, like, it, it's not good, but, like, it's also, it, like, sometimes you have to say, like, the state, like, does such a bad job for everything. But, like, when they yeah. do manage to catch these serial killers and, like, get rid of them or, like, you know, stop like serial rapists and stuff like that and actually catch them. Like, yes, like I think private security would do, have done a good job, but a lot of the times like these cops are just out there. These guys are trying their best. You know what I mean? Like, whereas like, it's not like that, you know, monster in Minneapolis or wherever he was, um, the George Floyd thing, like those guys, like obviously that guy is, I'm sure has plenty of examples where he like came to somebody's rescue and was very nice. Um, but also has all these terrible times, but like, you know, it's it's like, you're hearing about the, like, Oh, we were able to save this girl at the last second. And you're like, thank goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's stupid, but it's one of those like, okay, like I'm, I'm fine with this. (laughs) 
Well, and so, yeah, so I guess you get kind of more of a variety when it comes to podcasts. And like, I mostly only listen to political. And so I listen to, you know, options trading and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. But like, I, I sometimes get burned out of like the politics talk. And, but I get that in lots of things in my life. And I think it's because I'm such a um, enthusiastic fan of things. Mm-hmm. So then like, I become like, Single, like singularly focused on something for a period of time, and then I get burned out. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of what was happening to me with wine for a while, especially when I was drinking like four or five bottles a week, and it was just it was too much. I was not feeling good because I think I was drinking too much alcohol in general, mm-hmm. and um, so I was like taking a step back. I, I mentioned this, I think, on a previous episode. I've started getting into uh, the light beers, um, the like craft light beers, a little bit. <laughs> and I think mostly it's because, which is, it's a weird thing, but like there are craft light beers. And, um, I, I think it's more like me going like, let me put on the brakes a little bit from like drinking too much. And I still like to have a beer or whatever when I, or, or a glass of wine while I'm out, out by the pool or in the pool or with dinner or something like that. Uh, I like to have a little bit of alcohol, but the problem with, with wine was I was opening a bottle. Nobody else in the house drinks it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when Will was here, he he might have like a taste or whatever, but he wouldn't drink a full glass. And so I was drinking, you know, an entire bottle of wine over the course of either one night or two nights and sometimes opening another one later on and like that kind of thing. And so like I wasn't feeling great. I think I was I was overindulging. And um, and I think when you overindulge also, it blows your palate a little bit. Mm hmm. And so you're not appreciating the wine as much. And I was drinking good wines that I think I was just not getting the, I I wasn't getting what they had to offer out of them. So I thought it was good to step back a little bit. Um, I had several nights this week where I had nothing to drink, no beer, no wine, no nothing, just uh, water. And, uh, and then this is my first bottle of wine this week, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think this week this is my first bottle. I had some last week, and um, just kind of reignited like my appreciation for the sub the subtle flavors that are in wine, and and going like, yeah, this is great. But I also don't feel like I need to finish the bottle. I can put my little vacuum seal on it and enjoy the rest tomorrow or the next day, mm-hmm. and um, just go, you know, go about the the night. You know, it's great. I, I'm I'm interested to see how it develops in a in a little vacuum seal bottle over the next two days or so and uh and then I'll come back to it and we'll see what what it's like but I recommend it for the price great price check it out if you if you guys are interested uh go use our link on last bottle of wine uh let's go ahead and get back into the topic of the episode which is Saparavi and Georgian wines uh I've got two articles I'll let you decide which one you want to go to first one is called one is titled Georgia on my on my wine Mm-hmm. I like the sound uh, play, of that. Play on, you know, yeah. that's a good one. The other one is called uh, A New York Winery is Making Revolutionary Rosé with an Ancient Pedigree. Ooh. Um, I'll go with the pun one. The pun. All right. Yeah. Georgia on my wine. Yeah. So this is a great, this is an interesting article. This article is uh, from April 3rd, 2020. So I did have to go back quite a ways. Uh, it's from thegrowler.com. Uh, growlermag.com actually um, by Britt Tracy and the article is, is, is a pretty interesting article it gives a really great summary of uh, the birthplace of winemaking and uh, a, a, like a brief history of what happened in Eastern Europe where oh, there, 
there's my dogs fighting with each other. <laughs> a brief history, a brief history of uh, the of the geographical li- landscape, the political landscape. Uh, you know, under Gorbachev, they had that uh, anti-alcohol regime where like a lot of alcohol was uh, banned for a while in mm-hmm. different places. So like a lot of really interesting things happen. But uh, through all of that, um, and for the last almost ten thousand years, Georgia has still been producing wine. And mostly the same way. Now you mentioned this earlier, and they get into this a little bit. Uh, there are these these vessels that they use to ferment their wine called quivervis. Uh, quivervis. I'm not really sure exactly how to say, it, yeah, but it's Q V. Okay, go ahead. no, no, no go. I was going to say I've heard it pronounced, and like I think it's always like quirve, but like I think I'm thinking of a different word and just mixing okay. together two. Well, it's Q-V-E-V-R-I. And so I was saying Quivirvri, Quivirvri. But um, I also watched a video and was trying to figure out how to say it. And they were saying it, and it's not the way I'm saying it. I don't know how to say it the way they are. Um, but basically, these these are large clay pots of different sizes that are buried in the ground, and they're used to ferment. So they are semi-porous. And you will, you know, the same way you get with oak, where the oak does impart a different flavor to it, depending on where the clay is from, the way that the vessels are made, because this is also a family tradition, so they're made in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are and different degrees of purity. Sometimes there's sticks mixed into it. Sometimes there's other types of earth mixed into it. So depending on where you're getting it, you're going to get these different flavors from it. Uh, but then they're lined with beeswax on the inside to keep them a little bit waterproof. Oh, uh, and then um, and then also beeswax is sterile, so uh, apparently it doesn't it doesn't like harbor a lot of bacteria or anything like that. So it it is it's a sanitary practice from ancient times, and um, they bury them in the ground and then they seal them up for several months, opening them up to punch down the skins to try to you know get a lot of that flavor in it, and then it's fermented in these large clay vessels. And this is something that in, we've actually discussed this in a previous episode quite a while ago. Uh, they're starting to try this out in wine in Oregon uh, mm-hmm. with different, different grape varieties, trying to bring this back, see what, see what, see what it is and see how it works. Like discover different ways to give a new, um, a new experience to, to wine in the new world using use the oldest of old world practices in the new world, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. I um, like it a lot. Yeah. 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 And then uh, one of the things that they say about uh, the old world practices is that these are whole clusters they put in. They don't, um, they don't like strip even with the white wine, they don't strip it off typically uh, from the vines. They just throw the whole thing in mm-hmm. That's skins, a, yeah. vine, orange wine. That's right. And that's actually, they get into that. They call them amber or orange wines, mm-hmm. which is uh, unusual for Westerners, but that's how they, they do tend to get a lot uh, more tannins and stuff like that. But uh, due to the skins and, and the and the stems being in there, you do tend to get a lot more um, nose on the wine. So a lot mm-hmm. more perfumes, a lot more oxidation. It's also tends to be a higher alcohol and it, and more like uh we should actually review this on the show at some point because I don't think I've ever had sherry, but they compare Georgian orange wines to sherry. Uh, so it's got a lot more of those flavors. Now I can, have you I ever can, had sherry? I have in passing. Like okay. The, um, 
my father-in-law, I think likes Sherry and I've had like a sip of it, not like from his glass, but like, you know, he poured me a small glass that, Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, that, I mean, it's interesting. I I think, I think maybe I'll try to get a a bottle of Sherry. I know it's more liquory, so you don't Mm -hmm. drink a huge amount of it. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to try like a, a high quality Sherry and see what that's like. Yeah. Um, just to you know, just so, to kind of broaden my palate a little bit, and it is wine related, um, so it'll be interesting. But that's basically what this article is about. Uh, they kind of go through like the eight, th- the near ten thousand year tradition of Georgian wines, and um, they don't actually really get into too much about how they're modernizing. Although I do know that Georgia is trying out a lot of Western practices and bringing in a lot of the Western sanitary practices mm-hmm. in particular. Because uh, to export wine into places like the United States, you do sometimes have to uh, prove that you are adhering to Western sanitary practices for regulate regulatory purposes. Unfortunately, so, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But I think that's a good opportunity. You know, we'll maybe be able to go out there and check it out. Uh, they do mention also that when you're in Georgia, you have a much wider selection of grape varieties that you can check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, you and I are just going to be sloshed the entire time we're there, well, trying out all these different so that's, <laughs> different types of uh, that's one wine. of the, the big things about Georgia. Like, if you go to like a Georgian person's house, like mm-hmm. they have very very uh, strong parties. <laughs> let's call it. Um, so in these strong parties, you know, like people get really really drunk and like one of the only ways you can kind of beg off at these parties is to basically be like, I have a heart condition because they have this toasting Mm -hmm. system and it's like, you have to get up and give a toast and like, like, you know, uh, Anthony Bourdain like has an episode where he was there, you know, things like that. And it like, you can, you can't like, they don't even care. Like they can't understand you. (laughs) Just like, it was so, so they they actually culture. They in one of the one of the videos I was watching about this, they were talking about that where like that whole toasting system is that they think that possibly this is where toasting was invented, mm-hmm. um, and that it is a it is a deep part of their culture, and um, a lot of times they'll have these big parties like what you're talking about, and they'll have like a master toaster there mm-hmm. who is like kind of a combination of like a musician and a poet. Yeah, there's a lot of singing and like poetry yeah. and like singing poetry, like it's just amazing yeah. looking yeah and they're and like i guess they're also like kind of like historians too because they also will remember like famous toasts from the past mm-hmm. and and they're like not even reinterpretations but it's like the same toast from hundreds of years ago they also in one of the videos i was watching this was really cool and and i think this appeals i think it'll appeal to you as well but for me it appeals a lot is uh georgia was one of the first countries to adopt christianity formally and um there is a very long recorded history in the monasteries of winemaking there as well. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of, a lot of like Christian religious stuff relating to the wine that is made there for communion and things like that, which I thought was fascinating. And you could tour a lot of these, these uh, monasteries that are, you know, from, you know, four and 500 AD, yeah. which is like the very, very first, I was going to say, I think, I think Armenia, I think Armenia was the first Christian nation and then Georgia was very soon after. Yeah. And it was, and it's like, these are really, really old 
churches and they're and they've still got a bunch of the iconography up and stuff like that and some of the earliest depictions of christ are there and uh really really cool stuff so you know like where they showed another article (laughs) well i mean they show them as whatever whatever uh Georgians are. I no, guess they're I was, white. I was just being. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I, I, did I tell you about that guy who like hijacked the plane and was? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah that was that was a weird story. Yes, but it was. What, what are Georgians? Are they? They're they're like they're like white basically. They're in the, or they are they're, Jacob. They're in the Caucasus. Where do you think the word? Okay, Caucasian that makes sense. Comes yeah. From? <laughs> yeah, but like they're but don't they border Kazakhstan and aren't the Kazakis like Asian kind of? Some of them. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, right. like they don't, I don't believe they directly border uh, Kazakhstan. Um, okay. But they're in that, the Caucasus region. So, yeah. Okay. So they're, yeah. So they're, they're like white, but like, yeah, I mean, like white by modern standards. Stalin, <laughs> Stalin was Georgian. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, that's the one knock on Georgia and it's a pretty big knock. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do you have, do you have any idea if they claim him as like a hero or anything, or is it, uh, or are they pretty much like, this un- is the worst thing ever? My understanding is they are very, very anti-Soviet. Like they don't have a lot of the, um, like historical, like nostalgia that like certain Russians do. Um, cause Georgia wasn't well treated even during Stalin's time, if my, if my memory serves me correctly, cause they were kind of rebellious against him, um, you know, and weren't, weren't, didn't toe the line necessarily. So I don't, I don't believe they got a very good treat from him. So I, I think he's not well respected there necessarily, or it's kind of one of those, like, I don't think they call him like Papa Joe. Okay. Yeah. And that's, and that's actually, Speaking of Saparavi and Rekatiskeli and all that sort of stuff, there is a Papa Joe brand mm-hmm. of wine that is available at the Russian store that I go to. Yeah. Uh, that does have uh, Rekatiskeli and also Saparavi, but it's uh, Moldovan. Mm-hmm. And um, which is interesting to me that, 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 like, it's always interesting to me to come like into contact with people from Eastern Europe and either they're not familiar in the same way with I guess Russian history as I am, or they don't care about it or, you know, they're truly capitalist and they're just trying to make a buck off of something that was terrible. That could be. Yeah. That's that, that could be, I mean, and well, I mean like being married to Victoria, like she, she's familiar with it to, to some degree, but like, it's not like, it's not like horror. Yeah. Like, 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 yeah. Like it's, it's like a weird, and I wonder if that's a cultural thing that's like ingrained in us because of the cold war or if it's like, but we're, if it's, I mean, it, we're anarchists. Go ahead. So like the, yeah, I like guess that's the true. idea of the Holomador and like, yeah. you know, and because we're anarchist and we, we are cognizant of history, we're not falling for the, oh, like the Soviets didn't do this nonsense. You know what I mean? Like we, we're, I think we, you know, we both came from the right wing, quote unquote, um, so, you know, we're, we're never really leftist. So it's kind of hard for us to be like, to let it go. Whereas a lot of yeah. people are just like, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, if you're going to keep harping on the Nazis, look, look at what the communists did. Like, yeah, I guess that's true. And like, not that I like, you know, and we're, you know, we always point out like, Oh, look at all the crap our government did. You know, we're never, yeah, that's true. We're equal opportunity crap on government. 
people. Right, um, right. Well, on on a lighter note, uh, Georgia is the home of or the birthplace of Stalin, um, but it is also the size of West Virginia and apparently has a ridiculously diverse geography mm-hmm. and is unbelievably beautiful. Yes. So it's supposed to be like and 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 I guess once you get there is actually fairly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So the the trip there is not cheap, but but once you're there it's fairly inexpensive uh and they're apparently incredibly hospitable. Uh it it why, when I was watching these travel videos I was like we got to go there. Like it looks so cool and it looks so beautiful. Uh, they had like some deserts, but they also had like some alpine regions, which I guess would be the Caucasus. Yep. Um, and uh, they're on the and Black- then like say that again. They're on the Black Sea. That's right. Yes, yeah, so they had beaches, and they also had so you had like the cool regions where they grow saparavi, and then you had like warmer regions where they also grow saparavi, but they also grow the ricotta stelli and get those tropical flavors in, in the in the grapes and stuff. So I thought that was like super interesting. Looks like a really cool place to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also following the Saparavi thread, I guess, uh, we're going to come to the new world where they are growing some again. And, um, I'm going to take us back to an article that is all the way back in 2018. Oh my goodness. Yep. And it is, the title is a New York winery is making revolutionary rosé with ancient pedigree. Um, and so basically the article to summarize it is it's about standing stone vineyards, which is in the finger lakes region of New York. And they are bragging that they have a, a new Rose and it is Rose of Saparavi, uh, that they have grown there. It's 100% Saparavi. The grapes were imported from Georgia and it usually is, you know, a very dark color like we were talking about, but they said that they wanted to try a rosé, and so they're using the rosé practices, which, again, we've discussed on this, which is you basically crush the grapes, then you pull that juice off before it has a huge amount of time to um, sit with the skins, but you do get a bit a little bit of time to sit with the skin. So you get a little bit of that color, and um, and it gives us the rosé, which does tend to be a little bit cleaner, less... Um, it's got, you know, it's not quite white wine tartness and clarity and cleanliness or whatever. That's the way I'm trying to describe it. But it does have a lot of that, but it also has a lot more of the the fruitiness, the kind of easy drinking qualities of a white wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're doing this with their first vintage was 2017, which leads me to believe that we could probably get one of these just to try out because it's interesting. Uh, and, and I wouldn't mind doing it. Rose, 18 bucks. 18 bucks, really? Wow. Uh, do you know where is, is it available near you? Because if it's available near you and me, we should get it. Uh, I'm just looking at their site. Oh, okay. Like, because they All right, well, maybe I'll check that out. Um, so apparently they, yeah. they imported these vines uh, in 1994. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but they didn't have their first vintage until 2004. I guess it took them a long time to get things to to work out. It doesn't really doesn't really say but they they are they are happy with the production that this grape is giving but it's it's a lesser known grape so it's a little bit difficult for them to market it mm-hmm. and they weren't really sure what to do with it uh, <laughs> and now they've yeah they were like okay Makes well sense. we don't really know yeah they're, they're exactly they're kind of like well like we we planted it we we know that it's we like it we like the the flavors that are coming out of it we don't really know what's a marketable wine to make with it and so they settled on this rosé 
And um, and that's really that's really the entire article is they're just they're showcasing this rosé. I'm curious to try it out. Oh, uh, they they've have got two. Yeah, Saparavi. Oh, they, they, oh, really? Yeah, they have a they have a dry rosé, okay. and then they have their uh, tenature uh, t or t e i and t u r i e r uh, rosé. So interesting. Yeah, so like the the tint in it is the the pulp of the fruit. Like they didn't uh, ferment it with the skins, so like the rosé color comes from that. This is this is interesting. Okay, so I think what I think what we'll do, and then uh, I may I may order two of these for you, and or one of each of these for you, and one of each of these for me, and then we'll try them on on the show. Yeah. They also have a Gravestaminer. I like Gravestaminer a lot. Gravestaminer ice wine. Ooh, ooh, okay. They have a, oh man, that's cool! They have a 2017 Gewürztraminer, a 2017 Select Gewürztraminer, and they have a Gewürztraminer iced one, and then they have their standard Saparavi. Like this is a really, really interesting vineyard. Yeah, let's let's check this out. Like I, I might I might order a couple of these each for us. Oh, dude, uh, check out their uh, their farm red. What is it? Their farm red. Uh oh, I see it. Yep. Okay, Cab Sauv. Saparavi, Petit Verdot, Merlot. Ooh, yeah, oh, man, this will be cool. Okay, yeah, let, we're we're gonna we're gonna order a couple Vineyard. of these and and we'll try them out. This is this sounds this sounds like a cool place. Yes, uh-huh. I'll I'll order a couple of these. I'll get some sent to you. Well, hang on, hang on. And then um, they so they've got like a combo and a six pack. Like so, this might be one of those ones we just order. You know, if they ship to Texas, um. You know, we'll kind of go from there, but like their six pack includes the Chardonnay, Riesling, Farm Red, Gewurztraminer, Saparavi, and then the one of the rosés. Uh, it doesn't look okay. like a mix and match, but okay, we'll definitely look into this because yeah. this this sounds this sounds cool, and I'm curious. And I like I actually really like Finger Lakes. Um, I I like the Finger Lakes region. It, it, it's it's because it's cold. It has it does their reds tend to be more delicate and their whites tend to be more acidic, which is what I like. So, uh, in a white, I do I, do, I like that high acidity. Yeah. So uh, this will be this will be interesting. Yeah. Let's try let's try this out. You and I will try to get a couple of these and and maybe we'll do a. Um, man, actually, it'd be kind of cool to go up and visit this too. One of these days, you and I, when we get more free time, we need to bring the oh, show yeah. on the road and go visit places. Yeah, I think the Finger Lakes, other than going into Virginia wine country just because yeah. been in one of Texas's wine countries together. Yeah. And I think it go into the Virginia wine country, but like, I think like a drive trip up into the finger lakes and try to get like uh Rolo and uh, some of the other people kind of in that area. Um, yeah. Like I know he's not in the finger lakes, but you know what I mean? Like kind of close enough. Um, yeah. Kind of come up too and kind of do something crazy, but yeah, it's, getting late here um okay. and we've been on our own rambling adventure and we're running at 54 That's minutes true. so i'm mason he's jake you can always follow us on twitter tasting anarchy uh twitter childerberg at um childerberg on twitter you can go to childerberg.com tastinganarchy.com send us an email at tastinganarchy at gmail.com now i think jacob you mentioned that we were like six episodes like behind or six episodes kind of bite in there yeah, there's there's like a like a handful of episodes here and there that for whatever reason I never published. So gotcha. 
we we've got just these kind of random episodes. Um, one of them is like an, an episode I did with my sister. Mm-hmm. One is with, um, uh, there, I, there's a couple that are just, Oh, uh, we still haven't put out the episode we did with cotton. So, um, I'll put, I'll put, I'll probably put that one out after this episode. Yeah. And then, um, we've got a couple others, but yeah, so we, we are behind on several episodes. Yeah. Cause I was wondering, cause I don't think we got anybody to donate to free Ross then post the receipt to Childerberg. Um, so oh, we right. did, we did actually get one. Oh, so, we did get one. Uh, yeah. Okay. We, we got 20 bucks um, from, I'll have to look it up and we'll announce it next episode, but we did yeah. get a 20 bucks. They, they messaged me on Twitter. So oh, they messaged um, you. They didn't post it. You, yeah, they messaged me. They said, "Hey, I gave it to they," and, and I believe them. I know who it is. I don't. So know. I, don't, I'll, I, don't I'll, uh, I don't doubt them. I just I didn't see it, so that's what I was right. Um. So yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll definitely have to um, like match that, and then um, you know, I think I'm going to reach out to uh, Rolo to kind of see about coordinating that, um, so they can get it in Bitcoin and make it easier for them if if Bitcoin is their preferred way. Right. Um. So yeah, and then also, um, I think we I've got an idea for a uh, special edition Childerberg shirt that okay. involves uh, our good 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 uh, uh, special grape or you know whatever I was calling it years and years ago involving Walter. Oh, Paul. superior superior grapes. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, you know I've got an idea for a shirt for that, um, especially like the, so we'll see about getting that made, and then hopefully. Um, September we can do a shirt like a limited one month shirt release. Um, that'll be fun. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Well, then that sounds, that sounds good. So I guess, right. uh, from me, stay free, stay free. It won't do the outro. So I'll, uh, add that in later. <laughs> <laughs> Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slaw. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drink it wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton Sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willis Den, he wasn't sailing for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine, he hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day, wine, wine for the other day, wine, wine for the other day, wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, soda, you're drink wine. Wine, soda, you're